Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. And welcome back to Micromobility. Uh, Horace, where are you locked down these days? Uh, I'm in I'm in the Boston area. I'm actually in Massachusetts, and um, my family though is not with me. Now they're they're in Helsinki, so it's, we're, we're sort of locked down, and separate from each other, which isn't ideal. But through the uh, magic of FaceTime, we are we are still uh, able to to feel feel close enough. Um, so it's it's uh, it's manageable. Yeah, crazy. Uh, yeah, so so for everybody listening to this, um, because I'm sure things are changing very quickly, and uh, for everybody, uh, this is the it's Saturday, 21st of March for me, uh, 2020, and um, 20th Horace for myself. Is, yeah, yeah, Friday, Friday for you. Uh, I'm down here in New Zealand in the future, um, and uh, yeah, the last week and a half, two weeks have been uh, crazy. Um, do we want to just kind of run through? Because I'm sure there's probably going to be an episode that people listen to uh, immediately, but also in the future as well. Um, and I am very, uh, it's probably worth covering what's happened uh, just because we're kind of right in it. Horace, do you want to kind of give a summary of uh, where we're at? Yeah, well, um, it's difficult because we, we have an extraordinary situation, but we have to be careful uh, whether we want to extrapolate this and you know make judgments or understand what it is uh through uh through analysis which is which is what i do what i tend to tend to do instinctively um an analysis is the process of deconstructing uh taking apart and seeing how what it is and how it works and um and sometimes you can't sometimes you don't have uh uh visibility because the there's either too much complexity uh, or things are moving so quickly uh, that uh, all predictions uh, are impossible. I'm actually spending a lot of time reading uh, and listening to uh, Nassim Taleb, who who uh, has developed what I think is a is a theory, a very very uh, powerful theory in in uh, um, in the way. Uh, sort of in the social sciences, if you will, the, similar to the theory of disruption, which is how uh, Christensen uh, explained the strangeness around us. Uh, Taleb mm-hmm. did the same thing for these um, F, uh, the, the, these crises, these what he called black swans. Uh, the, the, he is an options trader, and so what what he's uh, pointing out is that we are naturally able to cope with small changes and we are comfortable with uh, small risk. Uh, but when big things happen, uh, we, we're not capable to deal with it. And, and, and most mm-hmm. of our institutions, most of our professions are not training people to cope with disaster in general. Like, I mean, I'm, you know, it's not about prepping. It's like understanding the, uh, that, that, uh, uh, you 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 have these uh, low probability events, but with high 
high uh, downside. There are low probability, but with with a huge consequences. So without you know spending too much time on that, you know, I recommend you go look at uh, at at the, the theories around Nassim's work, Taleb's work, uh, and um, and 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 educate. But the the, the here's what I want to say about. Uh, so I, I'm I'm careful. Also, uh, I have to give uh, honor to. Uh, uh, Benedict Evans, who 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 is is on Twitter, saying that he will not make uh, any commentary on the crisis because he he leaves it to the experts. And I, because he's not an epidemiologist, you mean? Yeah. Yes, and everyone some somehow with a spreadsheet is suddenly a, a an epidemiologist, and 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 uh, uh, and, and so it it's not. Uh, I'm not going to do that either. Uh, I do want to try to think through a little bit the uh, consequences for for micromobility. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I'm always asked also about catastrophes with respect to Apple. Sometimes, you know, when we have trade wars, when we have, as we did a year ago, a bit more than a year ago, we had uh, China going into an economic contraction, uh, which uh, which had nothing to do with the virus, but it was a year ago. It was like uh, something. Some there was a, a decline in China it was was seen as a catastrophe. Apple's share price fell 40% or nearly so. Um, and, and now it's falling in yet, in the, yet again uh, for, for, for a different reason. But, but we, and I was asked then, you know, how do you, how do you account for the unaccountable? How do you account for, uh, for catastrophe? And I said, listen, I don't have a line in my spreadsheets which, uh, which says uh, with a certain probability uh, this is what the value of the company is going to be if a meteor hits Cupertino. Uh, sure. I, I, I don't have a line in there for every possible uh, catastrophe that could occur. It could be an earthquake. It could be a fire. It could be uh, th- 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 there could be a war. So I, I can't I can't put those in there and 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 discount them. Uh, and the, the, nor could uh, could one predict uh, this is particular particular uh, catastrophe. However. However, then you have to ask yourself: Well, how do systems react to these uh, these perturbations? How do how do generally systems uh, respond to being poked, prodded, uh, shoved, or otherwise uh, uh, harmed uh, with an attack of some kind? And then you have to be more of a systems analyst. You sort of like step back and ask yourself questions around systems, and that means, for example. Uh, the the you know what what sort of systems should we study first of all and I you know I begin with cities because obviously micromobility is designed to work in cities um, and and, mm-hmm. and so we, we should we should ask ourselves how do cities react to uh, to catastrophes because we, we let, let's we can't do the whole world we can't do an entire nation we can't do an entire state perhaps but let, let's look at it as as the smallest quantum that we can get our hands around and you know probably the city is the first uh, first definition of of uh, of divisible problems um and, and to give an indication overnight london just shut down all bars restaurants exactly uh, so subways so, everything so we had we had just a few hours ago here in the east coast of the united states we had new york state uh not just city the new york state has a kind of uh no uh, establishment can be open. No, no business can be open, and uh, and sort of uh, everyone's expected to stay at home. And so this is true for for California as well. Now, um, and and probably we'll we'll see you know domino effect you know doing that for a, a lot of cities. Now, again, 
the, the, the question, this is unprecedented in terms of a response to a, uh, a, a pandemic, a, a, an epidemic, a, a, a virus, a pathogen, a, uh, uh, you know, we've, we've had uh, uh, various other kinds of catastrophes historically. Uh, we've had wars and we have had pandemics, but, but we haven't had them for 100 years uh, on, on, on a global scale. And um, and even the, the the one 100 years ago wasn't even well publicized. It was a bit. Uh, it, it was. I wouldn't say. Forget- you mean the one the 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 one that they refer to as the Spanish flu, the 1919 yeah. pandemic. I only learned about the Spanish flu probably 20 years ago. I don't think many people knew about it until. Oh really? Until well, it, you know, I I remember watching a television program. Uh, that was uh, Nova, I think, in PBS, in, you know, U.S. public uh, public broadcasting service, and uh, the, the 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 program was about uh, uh, an expedition to to northern uh, Alaska, or or maybe it was Canada, but you know, northern Alaska to find uh, bodies uh, uh, in the permafrost uh, who of of people who had died in that pandemic, uh, in order to extract. DNA samples that so they, they could reconstruct the virus, uh, and, and you know <laughs> in other words Amazing. they were trying to do a scientific uh, analysis of this pandemic and at that moment it would, they they of course part of it was to give a, a a bit of a history lesson on what happened and it wasn't a well known problem until probably twenty thirty years ago that people because of the the potential recurrence of something like that began to to really become uh, uh, very curious what happened then you know try let's uh, let's let's isolate the dna let's also look up the the records and and understand the epidemiology and understand the human response to this thing so it wasn't that i went through school in the 80s where like everyone learned about about american history and th- that never came up there was no discussion of a pandemic there was certainly the the roaring 20s there was certainly the the gilded age the the world war 1 uh, the, the League of Nations. We learned all of this. The Civil War. I remember, and I'm I'm pretty interested in history. For up until mm-hmm. uh, the the 90s, or I would say, the the uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, research. Re- certainly, it wasn't taught commonly that we you know, the United States. And in fact, the world went through a, a, such a such a disaster. Fifty million people yeah, that's died. So we still don't know how many did, actually did suffer. We we don't have that for, for, for you know. We have to estimate these things. And so it's remarkable yeah. that that actually we went eighty plus years uh, between the the event and people actually starting. Hey, maybe we should really really pay attention to what happened back then. And some of that was because it was suppressed. Uh, due to the war, uh, and partly because people choose to forget things which are painful, uh, and 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 I, I again I, I'm not suggesting this is uh, this is always happening, but typically when you get through a, get through a crisis, you tend to repress that memory. Uh, we, in, uh, collectively, and individuals may remember it, uh, but people in general will not want to talk about it anymore because it was it was so painful. You would rather forget it. Uh, so whether we went through the the H one N one or swine flu, uh, w- whether we went through the the two thousand eight uh, credit crunch, whether we went through the dot com uh, bubble. I mean, those some of, some of us you know are quite. Uh, 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 sensitive to those events, know, remember details quite well. But other people were like, oh yeah, that was sort of like, you know, like 10, 15 years ago. Not sure exactly when it was best, like that's old news. 
Uh, and, and so we are at this point, as our new crisis emerges, we tend to also say this is much worse than what's happened in the past. But let's not forget, again, we had huge, huge catastrophes happen to us. And not, not, not to downplay the current, I'm just saying it's a human uh, it's response. It's the, way, uh, uh, it's the way society responds. It's a, a also the, 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 the afterwards you tend to uh, create a boom. You, 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 you see uh, relief from it that that uh is is uh, uh you know, unleashed unleashes a huge amount of uh uh optimism and and so you you know so l- l- let me try to go back about 200 years the the american revolution followed by the french revolution followed by the napoleonic wars this is almost a period of non-stop warfare in the late seven uh as our late 18th century late 1700s and thereafter, we had the Industrial Revolution, 1820. It's like a light switch was flipped, and the economy of the world changed forever into one of overabundance of everything. Uh, that period lasts for about 40 years until the Crimean War in Europe and the Civil War soon after in the United States. So mid-19th century, we have war again. Um, the, the U.S. The U.S. war was hugely, hugely destructive. Um, but and and you know, and we again, scholars re- look into it. It's it's filled with a lot of folklore. People are quite uh, quite touched by it. But look what happened after. We had the Great Westward Expansion. We had the Gilded Age. We had the, the, a huge breakthroughs in, in industrialization. This is probably Industrial Revolution 2.0 was starting in the mid-19th century, which again lasted until World War I, uh, another 50 years of prosperity in World War I, a crisis followed by a pandemic, but then followed by the Roaring Twenties, then the Depression, then another World War, then the post-war boom. Then the the Cold War, then the Cold War with with a lot of anxiety when we had an existential threat of nuclear war for mm-hmm. decades, where literally we were one push button away from total extermination of the human race. Um, we had thousands of nuclear weapons a- aimed at each other. And yet now we kind of like uh, which we still do. Just we just still do. Sense. We still do, but it's it feels like we're less a little bit further away from a trigger. Uh, being pulled, but the 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 thing is also in terms of memories, and you look about you look at the uh, collective memory again. Uh, individuals will remember, but collectively, uh, and this is generational. Uh, those who who uh, I I have personal uh, connection, if you will, to World War II because my own grandfather was uh, was a veteran. Um, and, and so I would hear his stories and I would read up on it and you get that, you know, that interest because you felt like the, the family was involved. Now, I have no connection to the Napoleonic War or to the Crimean War or to the U.S. Civil War. And for me, that's academic. That's interesting to read, but it is abstract. Uh, mm-hmm. very different than having a personal connection and very different to also it happening to you. Uh, and, and, and many many who were, are scarred by these traumas actually don't speak about them. Uh, it's very hard to get a veteran to to talk about their experience. They're suffering from a post-traumatic stress. Um, you know, a lot of veterans will just clam up and never talk about what happened, even though the younger generations are like, really tell us, tell us what it must have been, what was it like? So um, I'm only just giving these, these anecdotes to sort of point out that, that uh, humanity has 
uh, even in the last 200 years, which is nothing in comparison to the millions of years we've been on the planet, has suffered through pretty big catastrophes. And at the time, I'm sure people saying this is the end of the world. Uh, It certainly was the end of the world for many, many, many millions, 50 million dead in the the pandemic of uh, 1918, tens of millions dead in World War II, uh, 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 millions dead in World War I, millions dead in in the 19th century wars. And again, throughout this period, we also had pathogens. Other than, of course, we had diseases that... uh, Antibiotics only came after World War II. We went through all the way to 1945 without penicillin. And so we've been living on uh, on a antibiotic in an antibiotic age uh, since then our life expectancies have have uh, increased our uh, the the chances of of both uh, childhood mortality and old age mortality has been kind of uh, suppressed uh, uh, and as a result we've kind of been lulled in this false sense of security about our our own mortality and our ability to you know uh, to survive these these uh, these pathogens, uh, but that may be temporary, not only from the viral side, but also from the bacterial side, because if we abuse uh, the, the antibiotics, we will be back to a pre-antibiotic age where uh, chances of surviving a, a childbirth, chances of surviving an operation will be decre- decreasing uh, dramatically. And, and so, mm. so that, that, mm. that is far scarier, actually, to me, than, uh, than, than the virus, which, speaking of which, uh, you know, I'd like to also, you know, this may be overly optimistic, but I'd like to point out that uh, this is not the hardest thing to solve because it, it, it's a, there's actually a proof of solution. Uh, the, the Koreans, uh, Japanese, uh, Singaporeans, and uh, Chinese, although the data there, it's, it's suspect, but generally, the, the, assuming it's correct, uh, th- those nations have... Uh, been able to control it, and the method involves testing. It involves uh, industrial scale testing. It involves uh, uh, the way I call it: it tests everybody, tests everybody three times a day, uh, separate those who are sick from those who aren't, uh, treat those who are sick. That's all it is. Uh, and and if you can, if you can marshal uh, resources to do that, then those diseases eradicated. That's it. It's not any harder than that. Uh, yes, it requires social cohesion. Yes, it requires potentially uh, uh, you know not just people willing to follow rules, but people willing to enforce rules to a high degree. Uh, th- that is probably contrary to maybe Western uh, civilization, but it, you know a solution exists. Uh, and, and, and even if we don't implement it, at some point people are going to say, "Well, why don't we implement? Why don't we do that?" You know, it's maybe it's painful, but we can. We can. Uh, and again, Western society through wars and other previous uh, crises has gone through uh, rationing, has gone through uh, 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 periods of self-denial uh, of various kinds, uh, blackouts uh, during World War II, uh, you know, you couldn't show lights, uh, curfews uh, done on a nation- nationwide scale, uh, people not having enough to eat, uh, people have to have coupons in order to buy food, a lot of that. You look at the UK, I mean, they, that was a wartime uh, uh, Britain and uh, uh, far worse in Europe, of course, and and so the the point is that societies are able to do this, whether they're democracies or not. Uh, we haven't had to do these things for like a, a, a good eighty years because we haven't had 
that type of existential threat for 80 years. So we kind of became a little bit soft, I would say, as as uh, our ability to to be, you know really really uh, uh, toughen up. Um, and anyway, so I, I don't want to dismiss this. I I think there are worse problems uh, for. Uh, in terms of medical problems that we can face with a post, if we ended up with a post-antibiotic phase. But but generally, so so I think this is going to uh, be solvable. But, okay, back to micromobility quickly. Um, uh, sure. it, doesn't, it doesn't affect, so my point is that it, I don't think it affects uh, the physics of city travel, uh, which is what micromobility addresses, the meaning... Uh, dealing with smaller vehicles, smaller distances, and uh, more efficient uh, transport means. Uh, if anything, uh, what we're seeing is that people are asking. And by the way, uh, micromobility is personal mobility. It's not. Uh, it, it's not group mobility as as transit is, or even as airplanes are. Uh, it where or trains or or ocean liners. This is about the individual having their own vehicle, which is what cars are as well. But this is just basically a much better car or worse, as I like to think. But it is it is essentially a low end personal transport, and and low end personal transport, if anything, is actually being clutched as an alternative today more than ever. And and that's positive. That not again. Maybe we'll go back to our old ways, but. Broadly speaking, I think uh, micro right now is uh, it, you know it's buffeted, it's being it's, it's stressed, but it, it, it isn't being thrown out with, with you know with the, with, with the bathwater here. I think it's it's still uh, a pretty good uh, good solution. Anyway, that's my take. I'd love to get pushback, but that's my. Take. So I hear you on your optimism. To your point around uh, things like testing, for example, people have said to now. Look at what China's done. They've managed to, to, to what they call the flatten the curve, um, and and they've been very successful at being able to, to stop that. And, and my point was, they didn't think that that was necessarily possible in the states. That's a Western democracy, indeed. And they have general speaking distrust of government and whether or not that's going to be effective in being able to um, stop the spread. And then subsequently, I think the thing I'm far more worried about is the economic impact, which is we've had 10 years of a bull run and we've, we've actually got far worse structural problems than we did going into the GFC in the sense that there's, um, the highest levels of debt we've ever had. Um, we've got relatively fragile economies, um, in some areas and, and just the, the challenge that we're going to have in terms of being able to retain the social fabric, um, and social contract with, with people, uh, right. if you have a prolonged period of shutdown in which effectively a lot of people are not able to make money. Um, um, so he, here's a few, uh, yeah, again, I, 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 yeah, on the China response to the, to the threat was, was uh, indeed not what we would expect in the West, but um, historically uh, wartime economies, uh, you know, re- responses, these things are generally slower in the West, but they tend to be more effective because there's more trust. Uh, so fundamentally, I think people, once they feel that they're in it together, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll work together. And I think in the case of testing, the U.S. is woefully incompetent at first, but generally uh, matches matches uh, the demand and eventually exceeds the demand. This happened in World War II as well in terms of production of, of uh, all kinds of things that uh, once kicked into gear, it, it actually responded very positively also because it was uh, partly there was a profit motive involved, uh, although a small one and a, and a, and a regulated one. Um, on, on, on the sort of macro issues, 
I'm not an expert. I, I do think, though, that in the 2008 period, there were deeper structural issues uh, with uh, with the way credit markets were 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 uh, misaligned with their risks and, and all these other problems that were in, in endemic at the time. I, now, I, again, uh, I, I leave this to others to analyze. I think that uh, what, what generally what governments are good at is, is uh, showering money around, uh, even though that is not, there is no money. Uh, they created money. Uh, they, they they'll create mm-hmm. it because they can. Do, they can, and this is this is why you know that's how that's how inflation works. Uh, so it, it's a it's a it's a loan uh, that that future generations have to pay. So you're you're basically uh, uh, redistributing not today's money. You're redistributing tomorrow's money, and and so it's very it's easy for them to do that and it's it's inflationary it's probably uh not sustainable but that's over and over again we see that uh, phenomenon of borrowing from the future and and it it you get away with it if the future is is going to be better because the future can afford it but if and this is we just haven't faced this since the the great depression where the future hasn't been getting better, uh, and and so you know I, I don't want to worry about that. I think you know saving lives and 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 doing all these things about the crisis management. Now people f- feel like okay, I'm willing to pay that debt. Even personally, if you could get a loan, if you have no money now, if you could get a loan, you'll you'll take it. You you know you think it's worth taking a a loan and dealing with with the uh, debt you're going to have to service for the rest of your life. Because you want to stay alive. I mean, people feel like that's probably a good bargain. Anyway, but let's not get too bogged down on that. I I hate to do that because I'm not. I don't feel competent. Uh, but the uh, yeah. So the point about about micro is that it is fundamentally a low end disruption, which means that it's less vulnerable to economic shocks because low end. Uh, let's use in, in in the analogy of the automotive. You know, if you're making Volkswagen Beetles or you're making Toyota Corollas um, uh, in a market dominated by Cadillacs and uh, um, and and uh, you know uh, uh, giant uh, yachts of cars, um, or you know, if if you're in that market and suddenly there's a recession or there's an oil shock, as there was in 1970s. Uh, you end up with actually the the little guys actually ended up coming out stronger than the big guys. You had much deeper effects on the the American automakers than you did on the Japanese challengers. Yeah. And there were the Japanese actually entering the U.S. market at the time of crisis. And everybody said, "Oh, they're so clever, these Japanese or these Volkswagens. They're so clever. They decided to make." Economic cars with low fuel consumption just when the market demanded it. Well, it <laughs> right. wasn't so. Yeah. It wasn't so. They Obviously, they had been making economic cars for decades prior to the U.S., and that's all they had on hand to introduce in the U.S. market were these cheap little little uh, you know economic cars and that was that was that's all they could do so if you if you're in the low end of the market, you're saying, "I don't know how to make cars. I know only how to make scooters." And suddenly, people, you know, say you're such a genius to introduce scooters at a time when people cannot afford cars, or when cities do not want to see 
you know, as much traffic or as much pollution or as much, in this case, even with a ride-hailing business, you know, people don't want to get into a car with someone else. And so here's your option to go get on the on a scooter or on the bike and, have, you know, be in fresh air. Or, or, or the other big victim, which is unfortunate, but it is a victim, is, is public transit. Uh, the, the, the volumes of ridership in, uh, in New York has collapsed on public transit while cycling is up 60 plus percent. Uh, and I'm hearing that, you know, Londoners are probably right behind. And, and so will, you know, other European cities, to the extent that you can get out at all, if, you, if you're, blo- you know, obviously if, if the city is completely shut down, all bets are off, but it's, it's just for, as an alternative. So I think even post-crisis, we would see people having discovered it would go back and say, you know, I really enjoyed that, you know, when I did it this way. Or or the, the, they'll, they'll want to preserve doing it because they felt good or, or that they, they are still a little bit nervous about uh, being in the crowd. So overall, again, the, the, the humble always wins when there's a crisis. The, the, the cheaper and more, more I, for lack of a better word, low end, comes away better from a crisis as well. So let's not forget that. Some people think this is a luxury, which kind of puzzles me, uh, a luxury, you know, compared to walking, perhaps, uh, maybe a luxury compared to even taking the train. But I wouldn't say that, you know, sweating on a bike is a luxury uh, in general. It's it, in today's world. So it, it, that's my that's my other uh, hopeful thought uh, about micromobility coming through a crisis. Yep. No, and look, I, I don't disagree with you on any of that thesis. Um, the one thing that uh, so so we have had questions from the uh, from the audience. I put it out on Twitter beforehand, um, and mm-hmm. uh, I thought maybe what I could do is go through some of those, and uh, and we could we we could answer to discuss them. So uh, Michelle, who runs the Smarter Cities podcast, which is worth going to check out if you'd like to, uh, she does interviews mm-hmm. with Robin Chase and etc. Uh, put forward the question: What could cities do to, to keep micromobility options available? Wave fees and regs. Uh, yes, I think micromobility has been seen as because it was VC funded, has been seen as yet another good thing to, to 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 collect fees from. Uh, some of those are justifiable again because you are using public assets, uh, namely the street, the curb, uh, and and uh, uh, the the law enforcement that needs to be uh, still still enforcing things. Uh, so some of that, I'm not, I'm not blaming cities for levying fees in general, but a gen, but maybe now they need to, uh, you know, instead of subsidizing the car, maybe they should give a break to the to the to, to those who are doing good things, um, and and so so in some ways I think this will level the the playing field a little bit. Um, uh, again, I I I think. The good are always punished uh, when it comes to transportation, and the bad are always rewarded. So, all I'm asking for is perhaps a little enlightenment on that score. Um, and uh, and and again, uh, this is why. Again, I hate to do this, but I, I always I'm fascinated by difficult times because the difficult times creates extraordinary responses from people they say it brings out the best in all of us it brings out collaboration it brings out more empathy it brings out more ingenuity uh people's minds are focused and 
uh, I think that's uh, one of those things that one one hopes uh, comes through uh, at this time. So, micro is one of these things that deserves to be uh, to be treated with more uh, more more thought and and uh, more uh, empathy, uh, compassion, etc. And that's that's hopefully what's going to happen. Um, and uh, and and so the the questions of greed will be suppressed, hopefully. Mm. Yes, it'll be very interesting to see. I don't know of any. I mean, th- we're also talking about this uh, two days after Lime has cut services to eighty percent of its cities, and Bird has, uh, I think, followed suit with a lot of cities. I mean, in part, I think that's a response to public health. And in part, I think it's a response to just complete lack of demand, which is, you know, people are... And and the need to conserve capital, because it does cost money to keep the operations running. Precisely. Uh, And and by the way, just to point out, again, we need to be careful. Micromobility is not just scooter sharing. Micromobility is all forms of non-automotive, motorized transport, blah, blah, blah. We talked about this for years. But the, the... the point is that there are vulnerabilities to the scooter model, and they have always been. Uh, it is far more touch-intensive in terms of re- requiring uh, uh, charging, uh, requiring uh, repositioning, and there's a lot of more shipping and handling, uh, mostly handling, uh, of the vehicles versus uh, either, either personal vehicles or perhaps even bicycles or, or uh, bike sharing. So I... I you know, I I still love them. I, I just would, would point out that some will be more stressed than others going through this period. And uh, uh, but it, overall, I think the idea of having a new option in urban mobility is always a great uh, great great thing into this period. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I do I do wonder a little bit about what's happening with Lime, uh, only because they didn't obviously close a funding round uh, earlier in the year. Um, they they had been rumored to be doing one and then they didn't and then they talked around no no we're going to be able to get to profitability um bird obviously sitting on a relatively large war chest so from a capital perspective is maybe a little bit better positioned um just within those two big large players um we can yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see how um the uh we have a question from roman uh, who's based over in uh Prague, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I believe you've gone to a mm-hmm. uh, to a museum. Yes, with them. yes. Um, uh, what shall uh, bike sharing companies or or micro mobility companies uh, who are in the shared space do to seize the moment and opportunity and grow rapidly? I well, one hopes to be uh, seizing opportunities. Uh, one should be conscious, though, that duty duty compels you to to help one another at this time, not just be um, just 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 looking for the uh, the the big opportunity to break out uh uh maybe those two can be linked somehow uh if they can if one can help others and at the same time thus establish the the uh, new behavior and new normal behavior then then that's the way to go my my what i've heard uh are that micromobility companies Will, for example, extend service to to caregivers uh, either through through discounts or even through through uh, grants. This way, uh, in China, for example, during the worst of the crisis, driving was was forbidden in these mega cities, and yet uh, uh, medics uh, had to go to work 
they were given either given rides by by a group of volunteers who with with cars. Uh, I don't know how they skirted regulations, but uh, that was one way. Uh, and others would just take bicycles to work. And, uh, and since the streets were empty, it's actually safe for for uh, for them to do so, uh, and probably fairly fairly efficient and quick. And and so if you're an operator. Uh, devise a plan to to help those in the medical profession and those with critical uh, jobs who cannot stay at home uh, to to get so to do so more efficiently. Uh, you can also help food delivery by you know as we saw in New York uh, this very evil uh, uh, ban on on uh, delivery of uh, you yeah. know the the electric e bikes that were used were used by immigrant delivery workers. Uh, those were banned, and the the mayor suddenly became uh, charitable about this and said, "No, we're not going to ban these people who are actually delivering food for everyone who's stuck at home." And these poor people having to go out there put themselves in danger. Uh, to deliver food for people who are comfortable in their homes, and to think that then you go and, and take away the very thing that that uh, allows them to do this. I mean, it's shameful. Um, and so to 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 then extend that further and say, okay, not only are we going to not penalize you for using a an instrument of 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 goodwill, um, we're gonna we're gonna give you some incentive, and uh, maybe maybe you can uh, be given a. Uh, a grant to uh, to buy a better bike. Maybe you can get uh, points to use uh, to use a shared system. Maybe you can get a trailer or something like that to, to do your job better. Uh, that's the sort of activities you want, both from from government and from the the, the operators, to to take seize the opportunity by by um, doing good with this. And it will be remembered. It will be remembered by those who use it. It will be remembered by those who benefit from it, and they'll see it in the street. That's the thing about micromobility is it acts as its own advertisement. It does not need customer acquisition spending because you can see it with your own eyes. Uh, it is it is visible exactly to those people who need it most. Mm-hmm. In other words, those who walk on the streets, those who drive on the streets, and those who take subways will see the product. And now, especially at the time when, when there's fewer, fewer things on the street, if the only things that are running are micro vehicles in cities, well then, what are you going to remember? Yeah. That's the, that's what what's all, what the opportunity is. It's not to hide your vehicles, but put them out there. Uh, maybe even give people a free free rides, uh, especially as those who will be out are the ones who need to be out. Right? That's that's the thing. Yeah. So Stephen Lambert, who is the uh, head of strategy for Skip, um, also had some similar question. What new opportunities could emerge? And and he's talking in the sort of the wider sense of business models, form factors, anything. And his point is, you know, it may well push some of the the those in the industry, existing companies. Um, over the edge, uh, and the, so there, there will be even more of a vacuum for sh- uh, short-distance urban transport. Thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I think that the uh, the other thing to to remember this is a sort of more an anecdote for the old days during uh, the uh, 9/11 during the 2001 terrorist incident. The, the, the one of the things I remember uh, because I was in the mobile industry. Well, not at that moment, but it, but actually it was at that moment. But I was just beginning. Um, but in in the U.S., uh, the the a lot of things got shut down. We had no airplanes flying in New York City. 
the the a lot of the phone networks went down, uh, and at the time there was a lot of landline uh, outages, uh, and so the war the 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 maybe it's it's a myth, but the the word around uh, afterwards was that the only thing that was running uh, was was BlackBerry, and BlackBerry were were became the go to product for people to communicate at that time of crisis, mm. and it was. Uh, government. Oh people, right, the uh, was... the uh, the network was running, right? The network because all the cell yeah, networks like, went down, I, I but the BlackBerry network stayed up. Yeah, it was something like that. I don't remember particular. I, I already see how my memory fades on this, but the the there were uh, comments that that cemented BlackBerry as the go to emergency response system. That it was the only thing that that. Uh, worked at a time of, you know, uh, pretty uh, grievous harm. So that that reputation helped them a, a great deal, and and so it was, quote unquote, battle tested. What what you can imagine now is rather than again, retreating, uh, you you put it out there and saying this is this is a great tool for tough times. And uh, and and try to keep the lights running uh, on. Sorry, keep keep the machines running. And and maybe again, uh, think. And again, I don't have the imagination just now. But think about how to extend service to those who need it and who are doing the most good. And uh, and that's that's where um, similar things. By the way, I mean you you have brands that are, have cemented themselves in the psyche of the world because of crises. One is Jeep. Jeep is a, by all means, not a great vehicle. It was uh, <laughs> not, it was a terrible car. Yeah. Um, but the Jeep of World War II, uh, it, it, to this day, is the most valuable asset in the Fiat Chrysler group. Uh, and if, if Fiat Chrysler disappears as, a, as an entity, somebody will buy the Jeep brand yeah. because it is so valuable, right? And, and it, the only thing that's left of the original Jeep is the fact that it has seven vertical stripes or, or its radiator has seven vertical lines. That's, that's copyrighted, trademarked, whatever. But how did that establish? Because again, the soldiers th- had this thing that saved lives in combat, in difficult situations, in uh, all, where there was no roads. And, you know, we would laugh at it today because it's no bigger than a couch. It's not a very, it's not what we think of as rugged in today's world. Mm-hmm. But that was the thing that cemented itself as, and for the decades thereafter, nobody took them off road, but it was, it was this, this, this uh, icon. So again, if you can establish yourself as, hey, during the, the crisis, uh, the, the city's, uh, kept running because because people got around on on micro mobility. Uh, you turn a, uh, uh, the tragedy into benefit. So um, uh, so that that's the only only inspiration I can offer. I'm afraid, but it, maybe someone can pick it up and run with this. Mm. No, fair enough. The, the next question I have is from Lunar Systems, which is micro mobility based uh, sensor fusion capabilities could open up some interesting public health applications in due course question mark uh fleets uh, uh as mobile distributed sensor networks used for predictive analytics on pathogen outbreaks the idea mm. of having this as being a you know hey maybe there's something in the sensor suite that we can have uh and whether or not that would end up sitting on on micro mobility yeah, people you know what we can do already now is track pollution using using vehicles uh micro mobility right um 
because they're the sensors for particulate matter are fairly easy to obtain to, and, and integrate into into a, a vehicle. Uh, remembering, of course, these are have power on board, and so bicycles don't. But if they have a battery, you can run sensing. Um, plus, these are at street level. Plus, they're they're uh, pretty evenly distributed throughout the areas that you need to monitor. So uh, the there are there is that possibility of doing this with with inorganic or maybe they're organic. I don't know, but but whatever the particulate matter is uh, for for pollution, uh, and actually you might find plumes of pollution that can be detected in real time, and you can actually route people around them. So you you know you, you one one dream is to have a micro mobility ma- uh, mapping software. A routing software that will guide you towards the path of least pollution, uh, but in the you know in terms of detecting other uh, uh, viruses, and I I, I don't think I, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm not competent again on this, but I'm pretty sure we can't do a real time sniffing of of uh, of this particular pathogen. But but I think in the future maybe we can, and maybe that is a good way of leveraging the sort of eyes and ears on the ground. Uh, in this case, eyes, ears, nose, and other senses that yes, we don't possess absolutely. on the ground. And, and, and that's, that's, that's certainly true. And I, I've kind of been noodling on, on how to use just visual in, or just imaging data from, uh, from the micro vehicles uh, in, in ways that would allow uh, 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 cities to see more, understand more about their situation uh, and, and, and uh, a company I've worked with in the past is Nexar, which uh, does this with uh, dash cams in in uh, in in personal vehicles, and mostly in ride hail vehicles. But their uh, the idea of having dash cam already dash cams have have um, have revolutionized insurance. Uh, uh, yeah, know, yeah, automotive insurance yeah, because sure. you you have you have suddenly you have uh, a record of every uh, potentially of every accident that occurs. We never had that before, and 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 now. But but since you're looking all the time, you're looking out the window all the time. You 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 could probably detect much more, and you analyze a lot more. Um, and uh, again, the car industry has thought about this for a long time because they they they've been putting sensors and cameras in cars for a long time. But this is a little slightly different level. It's low end, right? It's it's like having a camera in your phone, and suddenly you're taking all your pictures with your phone. So if you had the cameras on micro, you're probably going to take a lot more pictures, a lot more video, a lot more data yep. than if you had it in the car. Just the car is going to be slow uh, in adopting stuff. So yeah, I, I tend generally I think this is great. I, micro as a platform allows you to attach all these cool applications on top, and maybe yes, this is just one more thing we can think about in in long term. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Cool. Uh, uh, the the only one them that one that I actually wanted to talk to you about is uh, so we've seen Bogota and uh, Mexico City are talking about rolling out uh, temporary bike lanes or temporary uh, infrastructure in order to be able to handle uh, because there's a, there's a large movement out of PT and public transport and not everybody's necessarily shifting back into cars i think there's going to be a kind of a prolonged period even if we get to some sort of level of containment as we unroll um and we start allowing people to move there's probably not going to want to congregate into public spaces at least for the next little while um and so that there's a an opportunity for that infrastructure to be built in a kind of relatively rapid way 
Do you think that this is a trend that we will see uh, happen elsewhere? You, you know, so there's, a, uh, there's this job to be done that cities have now. Uh, how can they help? Everybody's asking themselves this question. How can I help? Um, and the cities are, so, you know, are, are suddenly realizing that it's been under their nose all the time. The, uh, th- this option of uh, giving people, giving this, this resource of, of uh, real estate, essentially, to, to these vehicles, because it, it is better. It is just fundamentally better. It is suitable, more suitable to the current environment than ever before. This is why, you know, there's talk about New York creating bike lanes. Suddenly overnight, you know, it took to take years and years of debate, and now suddenly overnight they're, they're opening up the streets to the bike. Uh, and the rumors of that becoming more permanent. And that's one of the things, as I said, the crisis creates opportunities and especially amazing greatness can emerge because uh, you see what you didn't see before. Uh, Your eyes are open differently. And yes, I think the, the, those cities that are implementing uh, more micro, uh, uh, micro transportation options are are going to benefit and those who don't are are not going to benefit are are, are going to suffer and so we're going to see uh learning happen uh where where best practices are going to get copied from the leaders by the followers so yes i think that that's one of the ways uh and, and do your best to celebrate and promote and repeat and retweet the 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 cities which are doing the right things. Uh, those who were uh, villains before, uh, the mayor of Paris, for example, who was vil- vilified for, for uh, having, dr- you know, th- what people thought was draconian uh, micromobility uh, uh, initiatives, uh, is probably going to be celebrated for foresight on the matter. Mm-hmm. So um, n- not, not, you know, because the fight was a political fight before. It was between, uh, between uh, you know, resource allocation uh, to, to one, one group of people versus another group of people. So it was felt like, a, you know, a zero sum. So those who, who lo- lose, uh, 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 there are those who gain. In, in this case, we are, everybody's losing. And so when you when you have somebody putting forward something that actually causes a net gain, uh, those who are not on the street with cars anyway are not feeling the pain. So th- there's this opportunity then to educate, to to uh, show the way. Uh, because it is one thing important thing about about diffusion and uh, and and uh, I have this this thing I've been <laughs> uh, going back and forth with James James Gross our our uh, co-founder on micromobility who uh, we, we we often discuss these questions about you know strategy and what's going to happen here but uh, I put out to him that actually my work in diffusion diffusion curves and. Uh, the the way that uh, I've been looking at adoption rates and things like that, uh, and by the way, also the 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 curves of uh, number of rides. You remember these things that I showed at the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, now people are using COVID adoption rates. They're showing the exact same types of curves, right? Wh- which country is going faster than another on the log scale? Yes, yes. These are the same graphs as I was showing. You know, which mode is faster? Uh, on the log scale for for ride share versus uh, since versus start micro. of since the start um, of since the start of the rollout of the service, 
Yeah, all of these are logarithmic, or I should say, exponential curves. And and so the the uh, the S curve itself, what's underlying uh, an adoption curve is that there's an imitation. Uh, going on between people. In other words, you do something because you see somebody else doing it. That's fundamentally what drives adoption. Adoption is not because you figured it out on your own. That's only true for like the first 2% of the population where they do the arithmetic. And you know, they say positive benefit versus negative loss. I'm going to go with this solution because it seems to be better. I'm taking a risk on it anyway. I'm going to try to try this out. Those are the early, early, early adopters. We call them the innovators. But everybody else after you know the the ninety eight percent of the population that does adopt something do it only because they see somebody else doing it, yeah. and it just becomes it becomes virtuous. And the reason and the formula that underlies an adoption curve uh, is based on this idea that we sort of uh, this pin knocks over two pins, and those two pins knock over another two pins, right? Like like this is the this is the the propagation of 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 the idea over time it's like this person influences two people each of those people influence two other people that's exactly the way viruses spread as well yeah so the the and they they expand until they've taken up the entire population and that's the carrying capacity it's called it's the it's whether the, the capacity of a population that adopts the technology is not necessarily 100 percent. it could be 80 could even be 50 uh just everybody who needs it gets it right but the thing is that yeah that, 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 yeah, so a virus would maybe probably unchecked, right, unrestricted, would rise up on, on an S-curve up until, you know, saturation, which would be, could be 100% or could be 80% of the population, maybe 20% are immune. Uh, but the thing would be that uh, the, the function, the, the math behind this is actually the same, right? The, the, the fundamental, and it's, it's, it's a solution to a differential equation which says, you know, this is how many people there are, this is how many people uh, influence others, and that's how it goes forward. And, and, so, uh, and, and so the, uh, what was my point? I, I, the, the thing about, about um, micromobility adoption is that uh, we, we're, we're seeing, uh, w- when you see a city like uh, 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 um, Paris, uh, Colombia, or, what was, or Bogota, or, or Paris, Bogota, uh, Bogota, Bogota. Uh, when you see Bogota um, adopting this, it's, that's the leadership phase. Um, and then people will begin to imitate uh, because they see it working somewhere else. So the, 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 the virtuous cycle, uh, because we have a global uh, observation of each other, because we, the information flows very quickly uh, through between places, and, and because we have influencers who escalate the conversation by by retweeting and and spreading it to the to to their peer to their uh to their followers and peers because of that is 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 a is a virtuous cycle then we hope to accelerate the the adoption so the uh it's it's somewhat uh i you know i brought up the virus adoption versus uh, uh, technology adoption, just to point out that it plays in the negative as well as in the positive. The negative is we, we don't want, we want to suppress the adoption curve of the virus because the virus itself wants to climb that curve as fast as possible Absolutely. and you suppress it by, by limiting. But at the same time, good things, you want to accelerate them and you accelerate them by highlighting them, by, by pointing out the benefits, uh, by applauding, celebrating, and so on. So it, it's 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 important that we do our job uh, to 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 you know uh, lead here and and show the way 
the best practices and so on. And, and, and so for, for that reason, um, if you, if, you know, let, let's, let's, let's applaud those who do good work and, and, uh, uh, and, and it's, it's happening. People are doing good work. So carry on. Good. Excellent. All right. Well, that's us up against time, Horace. Um, for, for the folks who uh, are listening elsewhere in the world, um, we will we will have this episode out uh, next week. In the meantime, as well, if you do want to send us some more uh, questions, we'll we'll be doing ep- in another episode uh, relatively quickly again as well. Um, so send them through on uh, on Twitter uh, or through to uh, or through to me via email. Uh, you can find our contact details on the website, uh, micromobility.io. Ah, the other thing as well, which we should mention is. Um, because I don't believe it's come up on any of the previous podcasts, is that Micromobility uh, America, the summit, uh, was postponed from April until July. Uh, and we're, we're keeping an eye on, um, obviously, what's happening in, in the States um, uh, for, for when we want to roll that out. Um, we wouldn't do it uh, unless un- until we feel safe. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult times. Um, but as, as, uh, as that great novel during the... Uh, uh, dur- dur- during the French Revolution was saying, you know, it's the best of times or it's the worst of times. Um, let's not lose faith in, uh, in opportunity. Absolutely.